When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, I hope you're ready. This is going to be a fun episode. Get ready for the ether. Woo! So last episode, we discovered all together that light had a set speed it seemed to travel uh, through space with. And we talked about how we figured we thought that light. Light is a wave must propagate through something and it there must be some some fixed reference point in the universe that is kind of where the speed of light is measured from and scientists propose that this was the luminiferous ether yes and we talked about how the ether had some kind of crazy properties that didn't really make any sense, right? It was invisible. I mean, invisibility isn't that really weird of a property. If you think about like gases and stuff, but the ether was it was massless. It couldn't be measured in any significant way. It was invisible it did stuff. Yeah, it, it does <laughs> stuff. It, it was really like just really far out there. And we yes. ended at the point where scientists thought we, we finally are at the point in our physics where we should be able to start measuring and learning things about the ether itself. And specifically, what could, go, what could possibly go wrong with that? And specifically, they thought we will be able to measure the effect that other objects have on the ether, like the Earth. Right. So the Earth spinning in space should have some effect on the ether, we thought, um, or at the very least, we should be able to measure the difference between the speed of the Earth and the speed of a stationary ether if that's what's going on. Yeah, totally logical. And that is going to be pretty much the end of logic for this entire episode. So strap <laughs> in because we're going to get really complicated and weird really, really quickly. Yay! Let's talk about the ether here a little bit again. We got we got we to kind of got to set the stage. I feel like with all these yep. episodes, the stuff we talked about last episode was so it's a recap. Yeah, we're going to so, do a little quick recap on what happened on the last episode. Right. It's so complicated, but it's again, it's like this is this. This is the series on all of science, you know, <laughs> like, like natural philosophy from the, you know, the dawn of man. So. All right. We've mentioned that scientists thought the ether should exist because we had. There, there were a couple different reasons. One of the first ones was the idea that light seemed to behave like a wave. And we, we knew this and we had theoretical work that that kind of talked about and explained how this was working. Thanks to the work of uh, Maxwell and his equations. But we knew we knew for a while that light was some kind of a wave, right? It had interference patterns. Um and all kinds of other things. And we also knew that um, electromagnetism, right? So um, X-rays, gamma rays, uh, electricity itself, microwaves, magnetic waves, they all had, uh, they were all the same kind of thing as light, 
they all propagated at the same speed of C, the speed of light. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed that there was this this kind of continuum of, of stuff that linked energy all in one. You know, if we think of that universe is broken up into energy and matter or energy and mass, energy seemed really kind of, you know, we had we had sort of we wrapped it up. We, we had solved it. Yeah. You know, we yeah. knew what energy was. All right. On to the next thing. Right, exactly. Let's, for, let's, let's, get, let's take a hard five and get a beer. <laughs> now. One of the things, though, that we didn't really understand was, well, everything we knew about waves up to that point suggested that a wave or a wave of something needed a medium through which to travel or a medium to be waved of. So it's a, it's a weird way of saying it, mm -hmm. but I think mm -hmm. an example from like water yeah. makes some sense. Yep. yep. So, all right. Imagine you have like a you have a lake of water. OK, I was going to say a kiddie pool, but I'm there. Kiddie pool. Right. You I'm got right. a kiddie pool of water. And so when the water is um, when the water is calm, you have a set level of water, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to arbitrarily call that the uh, the zero point for the water level. Yes. OK, so it's just the starting mm -hmm. water level. Mm -hmm. Now, when you started, if you start to make a wave in the water or waves in the water. Mm -hmm. If we look at the wave kind of transverse, so um, kind of like perpendicular to the line of the water edge. OK, so like from the side mm -hmm. of the water. Mm -hmm. OK, if we looked at that water. As the waves are happening, what we would notice is that. There are areas where there is more water above the water line. Yes. Right, and that's like the peak of the wave. Yes. And then there's areas of low water, which is kind of the trough of the wave or the low point of the wave. Right. So it's almost it's a serpentine like curve. Yes. And so we can describe then a water wave as areas of high water mass and low water mass. Does yes. that make sense? Yes, it does, because you're actually you are measuring something that something being the water. Yes. Yes. So. That's how we thought electrical waves or light waves must behave as well. Mm -hmm. If a wave existed, there had to be an area of high energy and low energy. Or high something and low something. Right. Because otherwise there's no material. So a water wave is sort of separate from the water itself. Right. It's mm -hmm, more like it's the description mathematically of the water body as it's being kind of rocked back and forth right, and the waves are being it's 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 displacing. Is that even a word? Displacing it's kind of. Displacing. Yeah. Yes. It's displacing. Uh, the water is displacing like below. Right. Like it's moving above. So it's displacing water to another oh god right no yeah yeah, yeah. no absolutely science. yeah no no it's you're science. no no you're totally right right and that's and it's how sound waves work too right it's the same mass right it's like it's just just moving into different places as the wave goes through exactly as the serpentine line goes through okay yeah and so that's yeah, so the, why wouldn't everything do that exactly that and so that's the same thing with like a sound wave right a sound wave mm -hmm. when it propagates through the air it's areas of high air mass and areas of low air mass Right. The difference is that we when we measure air mass, we measure it in pressure. 
So high yes. pressure is high air mass and low right. pressure is low air mass, just generally in the same volume. And there's chem there's chemists, physical chemists listening to this. that are like, that's not always true. I, I know it's fine. We're moving past it. We're all going to get over we it. Gotta, we have to get through the whole history of, of time. Travel, yeah, we yeah? have to get to it. We still have. Then we'll do weather and then we'll do high pressure. Storms we haven't even we'll talked about time travel weather. yet. This is episode four of time travel. We haven't even talked about time travel yet, Marie. No. <laughs> so okay. So so and then and actually, um, in all of our kind of descriptions of electrical waves, we thought there. You know, we we said that there were probably areas then of high charge or high kind of electrical flux or high electrical, uh, not flux but high electrical charge and low electrical charge, right? Or in this case of electricity, we would call it positive and negative charge. Yes. Right. So digging it. So that's the kind of way that we thought we, we, you know, all the waves we had thought of or known about up to that point behave that way. And so we figured, well, light, light has to have something analogous then to the water. Or since it's more like electricity, it has to have something analogous to like charge. Agreed. Yeah. And so scientists thought, well, that that thing, we don't know what it is, but we're just going to we're just going to call it the ether. And so as light is transporting through space, it's being it's a wave of or on top of the ether, whatever the ether is. Mm -hmm. That also means that the ether was a reference point or a reference frame from which light could be measured. So, again, just like with the water, how you have before the waves are formed, you have just normal flat water or, or calm waters. Mm -hmm. We called that our reference point. And then we could kind of measure or think about um, compared to that compared to that base level water um, kind of line, the amplitude of the waves or how powerful the waves are or you know how much energy the waves have is akin to like the size of the wave and then how many of them there are in a given space. Um, we thought that the the ether, the ether, 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 whatever the heck, it's a bunch of different ways said and spelled and everything else. But um, this thing would also then be the reference point. So essentially, mm -hmm. the speed of light that we were measuring was the speed of light in the in the in the ether itself. Yes. But the speed of yes. light they thought could change then, because the ether right. could be the ether could be um, changed. Right. It could be the little waves or big waves. Exactly. Yes. So mm. that I'm was kind of where. A, however, <laughs> that was where things sat. But already experiments were were showing that there were problems with the theory of the ether. Ah, uh, guys in the experimenting and the proving things can't just be happy with, you know, what we have, how it is. <laughs> and over, yeah. over time, the, the ether started to become kind of a placeholder to basically just explain stuff that we didn't have an answer for. It became like an ad hoc theory or an ad hoc answer. And what I mean by that is sort of. Um, you know, a good example of this, I, I think, is the ancient alien stuff, right? So uh, you, you can't that is, you can't you on everything, man. That's it's awesome. always my thing. So you can't you know, you can't explain how the Egyptians built right. the pyramids. So you just right. say, well, it must have been aliens. Right. Well, it's you like know? the deus ex machina. Exactly. It's the same kind right? of idea. It's, yeah. it's like God's machine, right? It's just the, the big thing that's going to just answer whatever questions, no matter what they are. Yeah. And so to solve the plot point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so. 
really up to this point, then when after like Fitzhugh and Foucault did their experiment to get the speed of light, there were a lot of experiments kind of picking apart the ether theory to the point that it basically just became the thing that light transported through. And it really had no other explanatory power. Hmm. You know, Maxwell's equations already basically said, like, you don't really need the ether. Right. He was like, you don't, you know, notice that these don't really do anything for us. It doesn't really do anything for us anymore. It's just explaining kind of like a conundrum we think is there. But, you know, maybe it's not there. Whatever. Now, placeholder. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the most important of the properties of the ether that we thought should be the case was essentially that. Like other things. And the ether should be affected by other objects in some way. And we thought mm-hmm. and we kind of measured like we sort of had measured before these like the elastic properties of the ether. So like how like if you think about water, the elastic properties of water, you can think about like how much force do you need to impart to water to get a wave of a certain size? Yeah. Right. The 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 kind of ratio between the power you have to input. So the force you have to input to that versus the amplitude and frequency of the waves or the energy to the waves. That is the sort of something like the elastic kind of modulus of the wave itself. Mm-hmm. We we had measured, though, since the speed of light was so high, the, the elastic modulus of the ether had to be like astronomical. It was it was crazy huge. And so we we assumed that there must be a very, very, it must be very, very elastic. And so only really, really big things, only really big changes would make any perceptible alteration to say the speed of light, which was directly related to the energy of light waves. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things we thought then was, well, if the ether is out there and we think that, it's it's must it should be able to be interfered with by massive things or by high forces, high energies, then gravity and specifically like the Earth itself, like the mass of the Earth should have some effect on the ether. Yeah. Yeah, because the ether is yeah. like what it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. it's the space that we're kind of floating in. And right. so what right. what we it's thought to do something to it. Right. And so we thought that there were sort of two there are kind of two prevailing theories at the time. The first one was that the ether was completely static. It basically there was no the earth had no effect on the ether. Mm. The other convenient, which is, again, very convenient. And it's like Mm -hmm. another thing the ether doesn't do for us. Who cares? The other theory was that the ether should drag off the surface of the earth. So what I mean by logically makes a bit more sense, right? Which which again, yeah, yeah, logically does make more sense. And Mm -hmm. that it just doesn't do anything unless we want it to. Right. (laughs) So by drag, what I mean is like how like how a baseball drags wind, you know? So have you ever seen like those? Have you ever seen like on car commercials or whatever where they do like the smoke lines that come off the surface of the car? The same kind of idea here, but with the earth. So what people figured was, okay, in either case between um, in either case where the ether exists or the ether is moving or it's not moving, we should expect then that if we have a long enough light wave that we should be able to get a difference in the properties of light based on in which direction, either towards or away from the ether drag or the wind of the Ew. ether that we measure. 
Yeah. So the idea here, the idea here is sort of like a, a way to think about this as a way to think about this kind of logically is if you've ever been on like an escalator and tried to walk up the escalator. So the escalator is going down. You're walking up it. Yes. Yeah. I, I do this all the time still. I mean, too. I love it. It's so <laughs> I am a nuisance at malls. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So you can and. imagine you have two people. You have one on an elevator that's going um, down, one that's on an elevator going up. And then there's a third person, let's say, on just a normal set of stairs. They're all walking at the same speed. You are standing away from them, but you're you're not moving. You're static. Which person appears to be going the fastest? The one going, uh, the one going up. Well, the one going, the, the one going down, the one, the one going down. Sorry, yeah. the one going down. Sorry, yes. the escalators yes. are all going down. Yes. Or yeah. yes, the yes, one yes, going yes, in yes, the yes, direction yes. of the escalator. You are walking in the in the direction of the of that the motion is headed. Yes. Yes. That person will appear to be faster because their speed is being added to the apparent speed of the escalator. Yes. The person going the slowest is the one walking in the opposite direction of the escalator and their speed appears to be slower. But yes. in reality, all three people are walking at the same speed. Dang it. Seriously? <sighs> yeah. I mean, every in, from from the reference mm-hmm. point of just those mm-hmm. people, they're all walking mm-hmm. at the same speed, right? They're not exerting nice. any more energy or anything else. Nice, right, it's right. just that from our reference frame, they are moving faster. Yes, because there's another... Yes. Okay. Yes. Basically, what we thought was if the Earth is spinning. Then if we can measure the speed of light. Against the direction that the Earth is spinning. And towards the direction the Earth is spinning. If the ether wind exists or the ether exists, then we would expect to measure the speed of light slower in the direction of the ether wind or against the ether wind. Yes, against. Did it work? So, that, so <laughs> I'm ready. Did it work? All right. That they measured it. It's fine. That experiment is known as the Mickelson-Morley experiment. It builds off of experiments that um, Mickelson had already done, but essentially mm-hmm. the idea is the following: the e- first off, the ether is the medium through which light propagates. Two, the speed of light is really the speed of light relative to the ether itself. Just as the speed of a ball on a train is relative to the speed of the train. Or in our example, the speed of the person walking is relative to the speed of the escalator. Yes. Therefore, if the ether is moving at a different speed relative to a light ray, it should be possible to measure a difference in the apparent speed of light. Just like us standing off on the other side of the mall would measure a different apparent speed of the people on the different escalators. Yes, as we're getting busted for shoplifting. Yes, and this is precisely what they did. So what they basically thought was um, they created a device called or more or Mickelson rather created a device called an interferometer um, developed in 1881. And the way that it works is, is the following way. So you have a, a, a ray of light that you shoot towards a set of mirrors, which split the beam into two different beams. Mm-hmm. Those beams are perpendicular to each other. 
and one of them is set to go parallel to the ether drift, and the other one is set to go perpendicular to the ether drift. The rays travel, they hit another mirror, and then they bounce back towards each other. And when they hit each other, they create an interference pattern, right? So the light waves mm. basically merge again. Mm-hmm. And so what they thought was, well, if we can see changes in this interference pattern compared to like the direction of the light going in different, you know, kind of different tangents to the uh, the ether drift, then it would suggest that there is, in fact, an ether drift to be measuring against. Dig it. Okay. We would again. Seems like kind of like uh, seems like small. How big was this stuff to measure this? It, w- it wasn't super big. Okay. And in fact, in fact, the the Mickelson Morley apparatus was a bit more complicated because it it basically made the light bounce back and forth a bunch of times, increasing the light beam distance. Hmm. Okay. So. Seems pretty uh, random and ad hoc to be measuring stuff off the you know as big as that. That's all. So we again, we would expect or we should expect if the ether exists that the light traveling parallel to the flow of the ether wind would have a slower apparent speed because it would need to account for the speed of the ether wind moving against it. And so, again, it's the idea of you're you're moving um, against, you know, you're walking on an escalator going the opposite way you are. Yes. However, Every time they tried to do this experiment, they were able to find no significant difference in the speed of light. Hmm. So this experiment performed in 1887, the Mickelson-Morley experiment, will go down in this history of science as the most famous failed experiment in human history. It's a pretty good failure. It's a great failure. So what, what it showed. And it's and again, it's it's significantly. It's significantly more complicated than we're making it here. No, it's not. Ether was the bunk, man. It was lies. It was lies. All lies. Basically, lies to me, Chris. You built up my hopes about this ether and then just crushed them. Crushed them with this little rinky dink experiment that's now famous. Oh, so basically, what this showed was there was no ether wind. Nope. And the speed of light appeared to just that that suggested then the speed of light maybe is just constant it's doing its thing like maybe it just doesn't change and we but we had no mathematics to make sense of this until albert einstein and lorenz came along oh okay and so that is where we're going to pick up after the break coming up On 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. So, the Mickelson-Morley experiment, and, and a lot of other stuff, it, like scientists 
historians of science and and reporters and stuff, they really like to kind of wax poetic about how this experiment was the one that made Einstein reconsider that the ether existed in light. That's that's there's no real evidence for that. Einstein was already Mm -hmm. thinking a lot of this and a lot of other physicists were as well. There were a lot of other people thinking, you know, well, maybe there is no ether, you know, whatever. Hey, can I ask a quick question? Sure. So did did the sort of a disavowalment of the ether have a big cultural impact? Do you know? Like, seems like a pretty again, like it's seems like at that time there was a lot about ether in in writing and in sort of almost like romanticized literature and stuff like that. I mean, having it just be like, yep, nope, there's nothing out there. At, At this point. A lot of that other stuff about the ether had already died off. Okay. Because again, like, yeah, like, like Maria is saying, we thought the initially the ether was much more complex than just a medium through which light propagated. Originally, it was like, it was like the fabric of the cosmos. You know, it was this, it was this more like metaphysical thing almost. Um, But over time, it, it slowly, again, as we, you know, like you like there's references to like the ether in like medical textbooks or like philosophy of the mind. And, you know, so it, it was this like it was considered this like much more. um In some ways, almost it was. In some ways, almost it was used like today, metaphysics and like our like pop metaphysics and whatever uses like energy, you know, mm-hmm. or like waves mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's the, it's almost like that. It was it was like a shorthand for magic. You know, anytime you didn't know how anything worked, it was the ether. Science magic. Yeah, it was some stuff, interaction right? with the ether. Nice. Okay. So, but the but that being said, um, it's there's it's hard not to think that of how important this experiment was on the ultimate acceptance of Einstein's work, because without this experiment, there really would. There would have been a lot of other stuff out there, but this was this experiment like we thought, you know, this is like we thought the moon was cheese and we finally landed on the moon and we found out it wasn't like this. this, We took a bite and it wasn't. Right. It was chalk. This is like an important, important experiment to um, optics and physics at the time. So it is it is an important experiment. I don't want to belittle the experiment's importance, just that. This, you know, it didn't like cause Einstein to write his his works. It was just another in a long line of failures of the ether theory. Yeah, yeah. that's like maybe the nail in the coffin. Yeah, it was. In fact, Einstein's paper, um, Einstein's paper only mentions like I think like five or six other papers. And this isn't <laughs> one of them. Um, he mentions like Maxwell and Lorentz and Max Planck, I think. And but anyways. All right. So what did the experiment show us? The experiment suggested two things. Our understanding of the ether is all wrong. Mm-hmm. And it appears to have no effect on light on light's properties. Like light travels through the ether regardless of the direction to the supposed ether wind. And that suggested that well the speed of light is apparently constant. Like we can't measure a difference in it no matter how much we try. Now this would lead to Einstein's theory of what we today call special relativity, but which at the time was just just the theory of Einstein's relativity. 
you know, there wasn't no, there wasn't a general relativity to like. It wasn't that special. To. It wasn't that special. Um, so Einstein really was building off the work of Maxwell, experimentalist who had showed that the speed of light did not change in different mediums or with different supposed ether drag, and also the mathematical work of people like Lorentz, um, and um, he he wrote this paper called "On the Electrodynamics of Moving Bodies," and the paper it's basically has puts together two fundamental postulates. The first one is known as the principle of relativity, which basically says the laws of physical systems are not affected by the choice of inertial system. And the second one, the principle of constant light speed that said the speed of light is constant in empty space, regardless of the state of motion of the light source. So what do these two actually mean? And what made him consider them in the first place? So number one, the principle of relativity. What Einstein really was saying here was that there was no at rest reference frame for us to compare against. So in other words, there is no perfect stationary state with which all of our physical laws are transformations. If you remember when we way back when, when we talked about our train, mm -hmm. we talked about how our our reference frame that we compared against was the earth was like stationary on the earth looking at the train moving. Yes. Right. And so we we actually implicitly assumed that that stationary, like no movement state, that was the state where the laws of the universe worked perfectly and everything else, the train moving and whatever. Those were just transformations on that. We were saying if you add some speed to that, if you add something else to that inertial reference frame, then the laws of the universe work. Einstein said that's that's ridiculous. There is no the train is moving and the earth is stationary. The train mm -hmm. is only moving when compared to the earth. But on the train, the laws of physics operate exactly the same as they do on the stationary earth. Hmm. Now, physics at the time had treated that stationary at rest kind of preferred state as empty mm -hmm. as well, not empty space, but as the space as basically in the ether in space with no yeah. motion. Yeah. Einstein said there, there's no reason to think that's true. Yeah. That seems sort of logical and self-explanatory. It seems logical. <laughs> and, put it like that. I mean, You're it like, seems oh. logical and oh. self-explanatory to uh -huh. us. But yeah. if you think about it, like we we didn't go into like the thermodynamics part of this, which was an, which is another whole like 18 episode long drama we oh, could do. But in thermodynamics, for example, which was another area that Einstein was was working in and really interested in a lot of his math plays into this and Maxwell's math as well. There is a preferred reference state. It's zero Kelvin. It's absolute rest. Mm hmm. So a lot of stuff we measured seemed to have a preferred reference state. This is also weird because what he's saying essentially is it's it's more it's more complicated than just that. There's no like empty space out there in the ether where things are perfect. In the case of the water wave, he's basically mm -hmm. saying there is no at rest point there's for no, the water. Uh, there's no absolute. Yeah. He's saying there's yeah. no point where the water is calm. How, but, uh, for light. That's uh, really weird. 
That is really right. Weird. So it's a lot weirder than we're like we kind of logically think of it as. Well, I mean, when you're saying it's like the train example is moving only when you compare it to the Earth. If you're not comparing it to the Earth, it's not moving. Yes. If there's nothing to compare it it's to, not then moving. it's not moving. Yep. So it's all it is all. I guess. Yeah. OK, it's fine. It is all relative. All right. Yes. Perfect. <sighs> it's still kind of weird. It's very weird. It's weird. Well, it was logical when you say about the train, but now it's sort of like, nah. Well, it's, uh, no, it's really right, weird, right? So Almost, yeah. This, yeah, this means that this also suggests that there was no there is no medium through which light or energy propagates. It just kind of moves. It just it just pro it just does propagate. And so what Einstein said was the, that propagation, that's just like the universe that it's propagating through. It's just the fabric of the universe. There's nothing there's nothing in it that's mass or volume or ether. No, nothing. yeah, there's exactly. Okay. It's just like it's just like whatever the universe is made of. Right. But there is no mm -hmm. there is no stuff there for stuff to propagate through. Now, this suggested two really important things that other experiments showed that we couldn't explain at the time. The fact that light and charge could exist and travel in a vacuum. Hmm. We had we had no explanation for that up to that point. Um, all right. So that's what the principle of relativity basically stated. The second one, constant speed of light. It, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it has a lot of important. Um, it has a lot of important applications and and stuff that it means is true. Mm -hmm. It suggests that light always moves at a constant speed, regardless of the speed of the stuff around it. So if you have a spaceship moving at the speed of light, it means that other things have to change for the spaceship because the speed of light has to stay the same. So things like the mass or the time that the spaceship kind of comes, you know, understands in its reference frame. Those are the things that have to change. Hmm. Not the uh, not not the speed of light itself. Oh, that's really weird. And so though. this means that a whole a whole bunch of equations for our natural laws, which had C, that speed of light appear, suddenly had really interesting results when you start taking the limit of things when they approach the speed of light. Um. It basically suggested that we needed another variable to be altered since the speed of light couldn't be varied, then something else had to change. And so for Einstein, and again, he's working off the work of people like Minkowski and Lorentz, Einstein basically introduced time as that other variable. So if you remember before, when we said that you could move between the, the train reference frame and the Earth reference frame, we would do transformations of like coordinate systems, right? Mm -hmm. So... We said that like the speed of the ball being thrown on the train versus on the earth, the difference between those two was plus the speed of the train itself. Yeah. Yep. What Einstein said was, forget that. We, it's not just coordinate systems. That's what's called a Galilean transformation. He said, we need to also include the transformation of the apparent time that the system that's being moved or the system that we're measuring is experiencing. It affects, yeah. That is so weird. So essentially. All because light can't change. It's the speed can't, won't ever change. Right. So everything else has to change around it. Yes. It's really so weird. basically, if this, if, if you're 
Uh, right? That's weird. It's very weird. Right? It's exceptionally weird. And so what what Einstein actually did was he invented or he didn't really invent, but he used what's called a Lorentz transformation devised by Hendrik Lorentz, who on his own is a very fascinating and exceptionally important figure in the history of science and physics. Um, but essentially what it did was it said time is it's like another coordinate that we measure. So it's not just like your position or your, you know, your length and depth and width. You also now need to include also the time frame or the time that you're understanding. It's so weird. Okay, yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Even more crazy than than the, just that theory. This came at a point in Einstein's career that no, no, is known later today as the Annus Mirabilis or the Amazing Year. It's 1905. Einstein publishes four papers, which legitimately sent shockwaves through the entire world of science. His first paper is on what's known as the photoelectric effect, which seemed to suggest that light was quantized and it was an early foundational paper in quantum mechanics. Okay, so the first thing he does that, you know, he so he first he he decides speedos light is constant. The speed of light is constant. And so we have to think about relativity now in a different way than we did before. That's kind of his first thing. Then he's like, oh, also quantum mechanics is a thing. I'm going to invent that field. Um, the third paper he publishes is has to do with radioactivity and radioactive materials. So what he found was, have you ever have you ever thought, Marie, like we talk about we talk about radioactive materials like losing mass and giving off energy. Yeah, yeah. but that's that's really, that's really weird. That's almost weirder than the speed of light thing. That means that energy and matter are the same thing. Because if you lose mass and then give off energy. Right, right. That has to be the same thing. Oh, God, that is really weird. And so what chipping me out? So what? Well, just really quick, just for the humanities majors out there, I think the thing that's the most amazing about him putting out these papers is like that's eight years after Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, it's crazy. So it's like that is like he basically like years, just just maybe 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 ten years after the Victorian, the height of the Victorian era, Einstein just 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 destroys everything you know with with. This, which is amazing to me, because, I mean, if you think about like, you know, I... people are still doing cocaine for headaches. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, now, come on, people do that. No. OK. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just to me, that is that is one of the most like, you want to talk about light speed. You want to talk about something that's like so far in advance of whatever you would think would be happening. I just like I was like, that can't be right. He did that in the 30s or what? I was like, oh, no, oh, no. 1905. That's crazy. Okay, keep going. Sorry. So that what he ended up finding essentially was that Mm -hmm. the energy that a radioactive material gives off in the form of in the form of light waves, in the form of gamma rays or particles or whatever, Mm -hmm. that energy that's left off, it it is gamma rays, by the way. (laughs) That energy that's given off is equivalent to the mass that it loses times the speed of light squared. So weird. That is what E equals MC squared means. And finally, he publishes a paper on what's known as Brownian motion. 
utilizing the mathematics that he helped kind of make famous um, statistical Uh mechanics to essentially Uh prove that molecules are physically existing things. They're not just ad hoc theories like the ether was. Right. That Mm -hmm. molecules exist, that things like pressure and temperature um, are the effects of those particles on the objects around them. So basically in one year, Einstein solves major problems in optics and kind of basic physics in molecular Mm -hmm. thermodynamics in radioactivity and in the world of uh, kind of molecular uh, structure. And he invented the pizza. No, I'm just joking. He might as well have, right? I mean, he did everything else. In the year so. 1905, Einstein was 26 years old. Oh, God, that's so depressing. It, I mean, that's amazing and wonderful. That's not depressing. That's not depressing. No. But it is a little depressing. It is exceptionally depressing, Marie. What have you, what, what did you, you had more done than I had 26. So I should just shut up and move on. <laughs> Let's just move on. Keep rolling, Jake. Keep going. Now, this, this is, this again, like to say that this year was like a bomb going off in the world of physics is a, is a massive understatement. Einstein basically paves the way for the world of, of science as we know it today. You know, he's it's it's more it's this is more foundational than Newton. This is it's more important in my mind than Newton. Because it it it's not only like it, you know, my my advisor used to tell this funny story that his his kid, I guess, was in um, his kid came home from school one day and said that he wanted to be um, he wished he could have been a scientist in the Middle Ages because it was easier back then because the stuff you had to discover to be famous was a lot easier. You know, like the stuff you had to like recognize to be like Newton or whoever, you know, they would have agreed with that. I I don't think it's necessarily true, but, but, you know, I admire the sentiment. (laughs) Right. But it's hard (laughs) not to think of Einstein kind of really changing everything with this. Yeah. So what does this actually do for our science? It explains why the ether drift experiments have failed. It reconciles Maxwell's equations with Newtonian mechanics. Because suddenly now we have a way of explaining why light appears to be constant, why the speed of light appears to be constant in all of Maxwell's work. Hmm. It allows or explains radioactivity and how it works and how radioactivity and the forces that underlie radioactivity are equivalent in some ways or very related at least to electromagnetism and mass. The only thing he didn't touch in this year really was gravity. The only thing he couldn't explain here was gravity. Gravity still then appears to be some kind of spooky force at a distance. Mm -hmm. However, Einstein will solve the conundrum of gravity, or at least partly explain it, with general relativity. General relativity, which he comes up with in 1915, essentially says, "Okay, well, we know that there is this sort of this fabric of the universe, right? We used to call it the ether. 
you know, but it, it doesn't have a physical form. It's just sort of, it's just sort of the stuff that the universe, you know, it's just the universe itself. Right. 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 What Einstein basically said in general relativity, general relativity was that things like uh, things like gravity or the force from gravity that's due to mass, that is actually due to the effect that those objects have on space time itself. All right. Now, this also explained a conundrum that occurs due to special relativity. As objects approach the sea speed of light, their masses seem to increase dramatically. Right. So this this suggested the existence of things like black holes. God. And these works that these these works of Einstein have been continuously proven again and again and again. And really, it, it kind of it again, it, it starts from two really simple notions. Right. The ether is dumb and sucks. And light <laughs> is constantly moving at a constant, constant speed. And it's simple stuff, simple stuff. And we're all we're all idiots for not having thought of it. All right. Now, obviously, since the speed of light is constant. Now we're getting into the world where time travel starts to make a little bit more sense. Right. Because if. You know, at the very least, we can limit because something's got to give. Well, the, right? At, you got to change something. At the very least, we can limit the effect that um, time has on us if we move close to the speed of light. Right. The, the, right. the faster that we move, the slower time will appear to be for for us compared to someone on a stationary planet or a slower moving planet. So, weird. so at the very least, we should be able to slow time or at least limit the effect time has on us. But more than that, it's actually in a weird way. It's uh, it's Einstein's photoelectric effect paper and the world that kind of builds off of it into quantum mechanics that holds the most potential for time travel, really. And it's a it's a thing that Einstein himself will hate pretty hard. He thinks it's real dumb. Oh, Einstein <laughs> really did not for a, for it's famously Einstein and Niels Bohr um, of kind of a father of quantum mechanics. These two titans of physics uh, didn't really um, they had kind of an interesting relationship. And essentially, Einstein thought, you know, Einstein's theory is interesting because it it's sort of his work is elegant. It's simple. You know, again, the postulates that those really are the two postulates that all of his math is based off of that prove all this stuff. It's it's very it's simple. It's not complicated. No, no. Einstein's theories are, are elegant in a way that quantum mechanics just isn't. So Einstein's theories talk about or look at the universe as like one all encompassing whole almost. It looks at like the way the universal laws behave and how the universe itself, you know, works together. And it it really like there's no difference between. I don't know if this is really true, because I, I don't honestly, I'm not a very uh, I'm not very knowledgeable on Einstein's really kind of biography, but. 
Looking at Einstein's theories, it's easy to think that the laws of the big parts of the universe, the, the you know, space and the planets and whatever, those are the same laws mm-hmm. of the molecular side of the universe. Yes. It's really easy to think that. Yes. Quantum mechanics, on the other hand, is interested in like collections of atoms and molecules and small pieces of stuff together. It's almost the difference between like Einstein sees the forest, quantum mechanics sees the trees. Or the needles on the trees. And the needles on the trees. And the, you know, so Einstein really, if I, you know, if again, if I had to kind of give a visual representation, it's like mm-hmm. Einstein is like an impressionist painter. You know, you get enough to kind of give a form for stuff. Mm-hmm. But quantum mechanics is like, you know, um, it's, photorealism. it's like photorealism. Yeah, it's, you know, adding mm-hmm. dots of color to make a perfect mosaic of, of view. So Einstein really doesn't gel very well or happily with the stuff that quantum mechanics shows. And part of it is because the math of quantum mechanics just leads to some weird stuff. And a lot of the math that's useful in quantum mechanics isn't has no physical meaning. Whereas for Einstein, the math that he did has physical meaning and is predictive. It's useful, right? Einstein's math Mm -hmm. predicts black holes. It predicts light bending. It predicts all these other things. Quantum mechanics mathematics is like, you're just making it work, you know? (laughs) And so that's where we're going to get next episode. We're going to finally get into uh, quantum mechanics and the weird time kind of stuff that we can do now that special and general relativity are part of our canon of physics. Oh my God. This one was weird. I told you it'd be weird. It's, the next one's going to be weird. The next one's going to be weirder. There's no normal science. The next one's going to be promised, so much weirder, Marie. Promised me normal science. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. 
Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.